Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Welcome to Muskegon History and Beyond with the Lakeshore Museum Center. 2023 marks the 125th anniversary of a short conflict that would put the United States on the course as a global power at the end of the 19th century. Join us today as we look at the cause and result of the Spanish-American War and focus on Muskegon County's involvement in the conflict. First, a little background on the war. Spain had long been a colonial power in the Caribbean, and this included the island of Cuba. By the mid to late 1800s, the native Cubans had started wanting independence from Spain, which Spain didn't grant. As a result, several wars occurred between the Cubans and Spanish, the newest one beginning in 1895. When this war started, the U.S. press mostly took the side of the Cubans, seeing similarities in their struggle against a colonial overlord across an ocean. The papers would also print up stories of Spanish atrocities on the island, some true, but mostly made up, to sell papers and sway opinion in what was often called yellow journalism. In January of 1898, Spanish loyalists in Havana attacked several newspaper businesses in the city that had printed anti-Spanish stories, and the U.S. Consul General feared for American citizens in Cuba and also U.S. business interests being the next target. So he asked for help, which would come in the form of the battleship the USS Maine. The Maine would dock in Havana Harbor as a symbol and reminder of the United States' power and interest in the area. Then, on February 15, 1898, a massive explosion rocked the harbor as the Maine sank, taking some 260 lives with it. What caused the Maine to sink, even today, is not certain. Recent research points to an internal explosion from a coal fire that ignited the armaments. However, at the time, most believed that a sea mine laid by the Spanish was to blame, and the papers sensationalized the story, coming up with clever sayings such as, Remember the Maine, and to hell with Spain. By April 21, 1898, war was declared on Spain, and President William McKinley would call for citizens to join the cause and enlist in the war effort. This call was answered by many of Muskegon County's youth. Previous to the declaration of war, Muskegon had its very own volunteer infantry company known as the Muskegon Rifles. The Muskegon Rifles were first organized in April of 1884 as a local militia company and prior to the Spanish-American War saw no action. One article I discovered described it more as a social club than a military unit, although the Rifles did train and drill semi-regular. However, with the declaration of war, the company quickly filled up with volunteers to a full size of 105 men as service in the war was looming. Besides the Muskegon Rifles, local volunteers were also recruited to join different state regiments. The Muskegon Rifles would join one of these regiments as Company C of the 34th Michigan, but residents would also join the 32nd, 33rd, and 35th Michigan Volunteer Regiments. In total, Muskegon County would send over 130 volunteers to the war. So why did these men join up? Well, as mentioned earlier, the press played a large role in drumming up support for the war, and many believed that they were joining the war to get rid of the evil Spanish, to avenge the sinking of the Maine, and in particular win freedom for the oppressed, mainly the Cubans. The Rifles, led by Captain F.C. Whitney, soon received orders in late May to early June 
to move his men to Camp Eaton at Island Lake, Michigan, near Brighton. When the men departed, it was a huge occasion. The soldiers marched down Western Avenue in a parade, with the local police and fire departments as escorts, and Beerman's band marching and playing along. The Muskegon Boomer, an old cannon, was also brought out and fired several salutes. When they reached Union Depot at the end of Western, the crowd of a few thousand crowded the platform, giving their final well wishes. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. The men would train at Camp Eaton for a few weeks, getting medical checks, training, equipment, and being staged and organized. On the way to camp, though, the men had also picked up a few stragglers. Two found kittens became the Muskegon Rifles' mascots. Named Kate and Duplicate, the kittens had a prominent place until Kate wandered off or was poached by other soldiers. Duplicate, meanwhile, was taken by a small girl. The scene was described by a Chronicle reporter who visited Camp Eaton. Quote, The company accosted her, wanting their mascot back. However, Miss Maiden was immediately surrounded by 20 other maidens, and the rifles, with all their gallantry for which they were noted, gracefully laid down their arms before the army of bright eyes. The soldiers would later find other mascots in the form of two terriers and a lamb by the name of Miss Dewey. From Camp Eaton, they traveled to Virginia in Camp Alger, and then for Cuba at the beginning of July. The transport boats that brought them to Cuba were quite packed, and a Hans Johnson from Muskegon would mention that many had to sleep on the deck, which led to confrontations with the sailors and soldiers, as the sailors had to wake up early to scrub the deck, the soldiers, meanwhile, wanting to sleep in. The boats brought them to a small community called Siboni, about 11 miles southwest of Santiago. They slept on the beach when they arrived, contending with crabs who pinched and crawled all over them. At 10.30 p.m., they began the march to the front outside of Santiago, Cuba. Hans Johnson describes that night and the next day in a letter home that was published in the Chronicle. Quote, That march we will never forget. They had the worst battle on the island that day, and the wounded that were able to walk were coming back. Some of them were shot in the arm, others in the head, and so forth. Then we met ambulances full of fellows that could not walk, and of course we had never seen anything like it before, so it made us feel rather blue. End quote. Johnson also mentions that the fully loaded men quickly unloaded many of their supplies over the 11-mile march. They all had initially carried a rubber blanket, a woolen blanket, a coat, an extra shirt, underwear, socks, towels, guns, and ammo, a half a sack of food, and a canteen. By the end of the march, Johnson mentions most only had a canteen, gun, and ammo, with a few still carrying their half a sack of food. Continuing from the letter, Johnson mentions, quote, there were Spanish sharpshooters in the tree, and every now and then we could hear the bullets whistle. When we got nearer to where they were fighting, the bullets began to come thicker. We camped on the side of a hill, and shells would burst near us, making it rather unpleasant, while the bullets from the small arms would whistle continually over our heads. End quote. They would eventually reach San Juan Hill, but did not make it to the front line. Rather, they were held in a reserve force during the Spanish counterattack on July 2nd. While they never saw direct action, many of Michigan's volunteers still had battles of their own against the weather and various diseases. Many mentioned the heat nearly claiming them, and the constant rain that made it hard to stay dry. Diseases like yellow fever, cholera, malaria, and typhoid fever were some of the biggest culprits as well. 
Of the hundred or so men of the Muskegon Rifles, nine would die from disease, while none would be killed by the enemy. By August, the men were on their way back home, having done their part in the splendid little war, as John Jay, the Secretary of State, called it. Muskegon County's troops arrived back in town on September 5th. Awaiting them in Grand Rapids before they arrived in Muskegon was a delegation of some of Muskegon's leading citizens who rode the way into Muskegon with them. At Union Depot, a swarm of an estimated 5,000 cheered on their arrival, letting off fireworks, firing the boomer, and leading them in a parade back down Western Avenue. All along the street were flags, bunting, and lanterns adorning businesses and homes. There was also a large welcome home arch that crossed Western at 2nd Street. The parade ended with a grand banquet that was arranged by ladies of the various local communities. It was not all good news, though. After the hubbub died down, the train cars in the back opened their doors and out came those who were too sick or injured to participate in the festivities, and they were quietly escorted to their homes. The Spanish-American War only lasted around 10 weeks, but it ended with a victory by the United States, marking its rise as a new global power. In the peace treaty, Spain agreed to give Guam, Philippines, and Puerto Rico to the United States. They also agreed to give Cuba their sovereignty. The war had proven the United States was a new power, but it also helped prove that the average American could fight as well as any other soldier, and the Muskegon Rifles proved themselves in the action as much more than just a social club with some drilling on the side. In April of 1948, there was a 50-year reunion celebration held in Muskegon to honor the Spanish-American War veterans. About 50 gathered at Muskegon Christian School for a dinner and to share stories with each other and friends and family. The group would then go on to see a special display of the war at the Muskegon County Museum before ending their day. Thank you for joining me on Muskegon History and Beyond and learning more about this short but important war that marked a change in the United States' standing in the world. <music>